Hello and welcome to the Living in Jesus podcast. My name is Ross O'Hare and I'll be your host today. Living in Jesus is a podcast designed to explore the depths of what it means to live a grace-filled life with Jesus as the focus. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about how a believer can have victory while living in a fallen world. This victory is something every believer longs for and many strive for, but few find. Why is that? Well, hopefully through our discussion today, we can give some insight into how victory is not only attainable, but also how we can consistently have it. With that said, I hope you enjoy today's podcast, and here we go. Joining me today is Greg Brezina. How are you, sir? I'm at peace amongst the stress. Good. And Bo Brezina. Hey, Ross. How are you? Good. And Tom. Hey, Price. Ross. I forgot to say your last name. I don't know why, but Tom Price. I'm doing great. <laughs> Good. Awesome. Okay, so... In the introduction, I said that victory is something that every Christian is striving for, hoping for, wanting, but the word victory itself implies that there is a battle or something to be won. And so oftentimes you hear you know, that there's a war going on. And so the questions that I want to kind of start out with are, there are multiple questions, and so we can try to answer as many as we can. But if we're at war, there's the first question, are we really at war with someone or something? If so, where are we at war? With whom are we at war? How are we at war? And so I know that's a lot of questions, but Tom, I'm going to start with you. Are we really at war? And if so, with whom and how and where? Well, it depends on how you define war. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in in sense of an overall war, I think a war has been won, but there are still battles that are being fought every day. Okay. Explain and, that more. Tell okay. us what you mean about that. Well, you talked about the word victory. If you want to walk in victory and if you if you have an experience where something seems to be keeping you from victory, then then there's a battle going on. And, of course, the question is, well, where is that battle coming from? Mm. What is the source of that battle? And yeah. I would say that there is an enemy. You know, if you're going to have a battle, you got to have an enemy, yeah, right? Exactly. So there is an enemy. The enemy, we know, is not human beings because the Scripture tells us in Ephesians 6.12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Mm. But our experience says it is, Yeah, you know, what yeah. in the scene, but it's not. It, there is a, a, an unseen enemy that is very active. Yeah, so maybe I can clarify the question a little bit better to start it off. So when I say that every believer is looking for victory... Maybe that phrase isn't exactly clear. So can you guys explain what it means for a believer to experience a victory? Well, I think about Jesus' words. He says, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Well, immediately before that, he says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Mm. So when you say victory, I think abundant life. Mm. I think of experiencing Christ's life abundantly. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so then that's what I think of when I hear that those words. Yeah. So obviously, Jesus puts it in a nutshell for it. There's a, there is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Christ has already given us victory. We've already looked at that in the earlier sessions when we were talking about the great exchange. Yep and our new identity in Christ. But how do I experience this abundant life? And what can this thief come to steal, kill, and destroy? Mm, yeah. So I don't know if that gives any yeah. clarity to your question, but that's what I think about. Great, yeah. Okay, so when we talk about the enemy and coming to kill, steal, and destroy, and we've talked about victory that comes with kind of the abundant life, so let's obviously just name the enemy. The enemy is Satan, evil, sin, the flesh, you know, all these different um, ways that it manifests itself around us. And so how do we experience that victory in us 
with all of those different enemies that are coming at us? Well, I, I mean, I believe the battle place is, if you want to use that word, is in our mind, right? But not pretend. But not pretend. It's not a pretend in my mind. It's actually the thoughts that, that are coming into my awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bible says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so when we, we think about the battle, it's not a obviously a physical battle. It's a spiritually oriented battle yeah. that has to do with our thinking process. And that's what Tom mentioned, Ephesians 6, 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers, right? And, of course, that's a, not a direct quote of that scripture, but it's the idea there that the enemy is constantly lying to mm. us. Yeah, constantly giving us thoughts and lies that are in opposition of what the truth would say. That's right. He's the father of lies, the scriptures say, and he is suggesting that we do not believe the truth that Christ has revealed and instead believe his lies. Yeah. So, Greg, how, how would you describe this war and this victory? How, how, how would you describe it? Well, Ephesians 6.12 says, and this is a phenomenal verse. It's revelation. It was revelation for me. And when I work with disciples and discipling them, they're always talking about blaming this person or blaming that person, and they focus on this and they focus on that. Then they turn... After they blame everybody else, then they focus the negative. They have self-condemnation. Mm. And so Ephesians 6.12 clearly uh, identifies the opponent, yeah. which says our struggle is our struggle, our struggle, our battle, uh, whatever you want to call it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Yeah. Well, are other people flesh and blood? Yes. Am I flesh and blood? Yes. So I'm not struggling. I'm not, not at war, quote-unquote, with myself or yeah. with another human being. Yeah. And so it goes on to say, but we struggle against principalities and powers of darkness. And who are the principalities and powers of darkness? And it's assumed, and I believe Scripture backs it up, that, that it's Satan and his demons. And so you got uh, Ephesians 6, 12 that says we got the struggle. Mm -hmm. And then you jump over to Romans 7, 23. Powerful, powerful verse, yeah. which says uh, something like, there's a war raging inside of me mm. between the law of sin and the law of the mind. Yeah. And the law of the mind is how, it's, the law there is not like the Ten Commandments. The law is a principle, like mm. gravity, law of gravity, or the principle of gravity. The law of the mind explains how the mind works. Sure. And God has designed the mind for the Father to speak to the Holy Spirit within us, and the Holy Spirit communicate Father's will, and then we're supposed to yield our will to that, James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, mm. and he'll flee. Yeah. And so that's the way the mind works. And on the other hand, the, the war that's raging is the law of sin. And we're, I guess we're going to get to that in a minute. But uh, the, that's the war raging inside of me, and I call it a war of words. Mm. It's just like we were playing, we were playing, and I think I've used this before. We were playing the Dallas Cowboys in Atlanta, mm. and uh, they went ran a reverse. And when I saw the wide receiver, I watch a lot of film, mm. and so when the wide receiver crossed my path, it registered in my mind reverse, and so I headed full speed to the other opposite sideline to meet the wide receiver there. Mm. When all my teammates were going to the right, yeah. and I was going to the left. And I met the wide receiver there, and I was just about to nail him, just mm -hmm. about to tackle him, and he stepped out of bounds. Mm. I was going full speed. I had two choices, I either grab him and try to let him, his momentum slow my momentum, him, 
but he he ran away from me, mm. which our momentum is urged, and we end up going over the Dallas Cowboys bench. Mm. Well, one of the defensive tackles for the Dallas Cowboys took his helmet and started hit, beating me on the back. Mm. Nobus, our middle linebacker, comes, and he decks the and both benches empty. Yeah. And I got a 15-yard penalty for that. <laughs> and I was walking back on the field, and one of their Dallas Cowboys assistant coaches said, Brzezina, we know what kind of Christian you are. And I turned around, and my anger inside of me was boiling like lava, you know, in a volcano, in magnet chamber. And I turned around, and I exploded on him. I just blew him away. Well, they, the cameras were all running, okay? And he was calling me. He was insinuating I was a hypocrite. And so I let him have it. And then after it was all over, I started going back on the field. Mm-hmm. And I had this little, heard this little voice in me, look what kind of Christian you are. Okay, yeah, that was stupid of you to do that. Now the whole world knows you're a hypocrite. You know, what kind of Christian you are. Mm. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm a child of God. God loves me. And the rest of the game, I couldn't hardly play the game because this war of words was going on in my mind. Mm. I, I measure up. I don't measure up. There's something wrong with me. I defended myself, and, and then then I would condemn myself, and then yeah. I'd defend myself. And it went on. and until I asked the guy to forgive me. But where, where does that war of words come from? And a, uh, Romans 7.23 says, this is the war that rages in our minds. Mm. That is the, the struggle that we face. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's... I, I, I went a long way around to get there, but I hope I got it. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that as believers, I think, you know, we have all had similar experiences, not obviously on an NFL football field, but we've had similar experiences where we've done something or been called out or even heard that voice, just that condemning voice within us where there's this battle going on. Now it's who am I going to believe about who I really am and what's really going on. And so I think that, you know, as we think about victory and as we think about that, I think most Christians don't know how to, like I said in the introduction, have consistent victory, how to experience that consistently. So is there a method, a practice, a how do Christians come to that point where they can consistently experience that victory? Well, for me, I didn't start experiencing the victory until I started believing what Christ had accomplished through being crucified with him. Galatians you know, 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Well, for a long time, I didn't, I mean, I knew he died for my sins, but I didn't realize I had died with him. I didn't know that I was this new creation. I didn't know I was alive to him. I didn't know that the spirit of God had made me new and that I had these new desires. And so when I get a condemning thought, it really, I don't know if that, maybe that's true. Sure, <laughs> maybe I am a bad Christian, yeah. you know? And so for me, the victory started with understanding what Christ accomplished on the cross. Oh, I was, I was buried with him. I no longer live. The old self has been crucified with Christ. And so once I started believing that, I got the foundation to start believing that the victory's already been won. Hmm. Christ has already won the victory. Now it's just me believing that I really am righteous. So for me, it happened one time. I remember I was in a grocery store, minding my business, shopping, and I got a tempting thought. Usually I would think that that's my thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I would get a condemning thought then. How could you think that? That That's not a Christian thought. That's not a good thought. Mm. And then I started, um, when I understood my victory, I, I started realizing I'm a righteous man of God. That's not my thought. Mm. 
And so for me to start experiencing the victory was to believe who I really was so that I could start realizing, oh, that's not coming from me. That's coming from the enemy. Yeah. So, I mean, let's clarify this a little bit because I think we can start to forget the difference between already having victory and then experiencing it. So, Tom, can you explain those two things? Like, you've said it and both said it now. We already have victory, but we don't experience it all the time. People are going to be like, well, I don't have victory if I'm not experiencing it. So how do we, how do we marry those two things? It's easy to measure success by what you see. Yeah. Okay. And I got caught in that trap for many, many years, and I'm still tempted to get caught in that trap where you measure victory by your experience in the moment. Mm. Like, oh, I'm having a tempting thought, and oh, I'm thinking about it, so I don't have victory. Yeah. Well, that's my assumption that is wrong. Mm. I'm not appropriating the truth that I'm already victorious. And plus, I'm in a twisted kind of way. This is where the enemy comes in, and he tempts me to believe the lie that God is disappointed with me because I entertained a thought. Hmm. And, of course, as Bo mentioned, for the longest time I thought the thought came from me. Yeah. And I thought, oh, how could you think that? What kind of Christian thinks those kind of thoughts, mm. you know, produces those kind of thoughts? Yeah. And I realize I don't. Well, now I understand that experiencing victory, I have to root it into who I am in Christ. In other words, I have to always see myself for who I really am, hmm. not see myself through the experience. Or what you've done. Or what I've done. Yeah. I mean, that is part of the experience. Sure, what yeah, you yeah. do is experience. Yep. And I have to see myself the way God sees me. Well, it's like Mark says, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? And I'm assuming that when I mess up, and if I believe that God is really disappointed with me and like, oh, I can't talk to you for right right now. Mm. You, you know, just give me some distance. Let me, and I'll forgive you and we can come back and fellowship. Mm which is what humans do, okay? Yeah. But God knew my entire life at the foundation of creation. Yeah. Nothing that I can do can surprise him. Yep. I'm surprised sometimes. <laughs> Other people are surprised, but he's not surprised. And God is always resting in the truth because he is true. Yeah. And he's inviting me to rest in that truth also. And that is where victory is really experienced. So to answer your question, Christ achieved the victory. He conquered sin. He paid the debt, debt right? Mm -hmm. He gave us his abundant life. That's victory. We have it. Yeah. Now, whether I use that in the grocery store and believe that, that's whether I'll experience it. Mm -hmm. If I don't believe it, it doesn't mean that Christ didn't pay for my sin and that he's conquered sin and he's given me life and he's made me alive and I have it. It just means I'm not tapping into it. Mm. And that's to me, that's the difference between we already have the victory, we may not be appropriating the victory. Maybe that's the word I should use. So to me, the idea that we have the victory already, it's already been won by Christ, and it's simply about me to believe it. But then how does that actually play out in my actions and then my experience, right? How... Because to me, that's the next step where don't we see fruit that comes from that? Or what's the outpouring of that? 
Okay. Back to the grocery store. Yeah. I'm in the grocery store. I start understanding that I'm this righteous man of God. I also needed to understand, and Tom mentioned this, that not every thought that comes my way is my thought because the enemy, Mm. I believe, Matthew 16 gives us an example of where the enemy can suggest thought to us. And then the Bible says, I take the thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Christ is through his obedient work on the cross has given me new life. This tempting thought is not line up with me, mm. who I am. I'm a new creation. Yeah. And so I can literally, the Bible says, destroy the speculation. Mm. I can also destroy the speculation that I'm a bad Christian because that would be the condemnation that comes after the thought. Yeah. And as I do, I start to experience the, or appropriate the victory I have. Now, I think it's important to mention that it doesn't necessarily mean I feel all warm and fuzzy. Yeah, exactly. It it doesn't mean that I feel victorious, Mm. Uh, but I don't, my feelings don't, are not the indicator of whether I have victory. The victory is already objective fact in Christ. Mm. I'm just walking in it trusting him that if my feelings need to come around, he'll bring it around. Yeah. So I would even say we could argue that we already have the victory and we have all victory. We just might not be experiencing it. So every Christian is already victorious. Right. When, yes, yes. Yes. And so, even though we, in certain circumstances, don't act it out or experience it, that doesn't take away from the fact that we already have all the victory we will ever need. You're can right. I, can I give an example? Yeah. At one point, I was struggling with an addiction, and in my mind, victory meant not practicing the addiction. Mm-hmm. That was victory. Yeah. It was the absence of the habit. Yep. The the sobriety. That's the victory. And that's how most people view victory, in especially dealing with a habit or, or an addiction. And so I had a lot of time of sobriety. Well, one day I was at the house by myself, and I was walking out of my bedroom, and I had a, a thought, hmm. a tempting thought. And the thought went something like this, hey, you're by yourself. Um, you can just go in the living room and turn the TV on and get you know watch something inappropriate. Yeah. And I stopped, and I thought, is that what I want to do? Hmm. Is that the desire of my heart? I mean, I can feel the definitely feel the tug of the flesh. It's an old familiar feeling, and it promises a payoff of yeah. pleasure. But I came down to the conclusion that no, that's not what I want to do. And in that moment, there was an overwhelming peace. I mean, it didn't erase the fleshly desire. Sure. It was still hanging there in the background. But there was a peace because I actually chose to live in the victory that I already had, that I had all those years that I struggled. I, it was already mine. Yeah. I was just, I didn't know it was mine. Therefore, I wasn't claiming it and I wasn't walking in it. Mm. And in that moment, I chose to walk in it, and I experienced the peace that passes all understanding. Mm. And I learned something valuable that day, that I'm not as messed up as I thought I was, <laughs> that I am, you know, I'm God's son who he's well pleased with. Um, and even if I did choose the, the wrong choice in that moment, guess what? I am still, still. his son in whom he's well pleased. Yeah. He may not have been pleased with the choice, but he's pleased with me. Hmm. And the more I live in that place, the more peace I experience, no matter what's going on around me. Hmm. And so, and I think that was a great example because if he chose to sin, he wouldn't have experienced the victory. Yeah. 
even though the victory had already been given to him. So we're not saying that even though Christ has made his victory, that we always choose to walk in it. We can still choose to sin. But in that case, he chose to walk in the victory that Christ had already given him, Mm. and he experienced the fruit of that. Mm. The key to experiencing the abundant life of Christ is James 4, 7. It's probably the, the most simple verse that summarizes Christianity that's in the Bible, which says, submit to God, resist the devil. And so because of Christ already won the victory for us, and that's 1 Corinthians 15, 57, he's already won the victory. So it's been gift. The victory over the demonic has already been given us. And then he tells us the way to experience it in James 4, 7, submit to God. Okay, where does God live? He lives in my heart. And so I have to consciously submit my will. God has been very gracious to give us a will because without the will, there's no love. God doesn't force me to obey him or to experience his abundant life. Mm -hmm. But as I surrender my will to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me, then I naturally, normally, and spontaneously behave like Jesus Christ. And when I behave like Christ, the devil is immediately, if I'm submitting to the Holy Spirit, I've already rejected or resisted the enemy. And evidence that I am walking in the Spirit or walking after the Spirit is that I am bearing the fruit. I have love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faith, and control of self. So if I'm not experiencing love, joy, and peace, the fruit of the Spirit, I'm not submitting myself to the Holy Spirit. Now, I was discipling a couple the other day, and it's amazing to me how many Christians do not know how to submit their will to the Holy Spirit. And so they ask, how do I submit to the Holy Spirit? And I ask, well, how did you get in that chair? And you looked at the chair and you believed, you trusted the chair would hold you up and you sat in it. You submitted your will to the chair and your faith was rewarded. And that's it. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you, whether it's through the Word of God or through a rhema, He'll speak to you. And when, when we obey His Word, then we will experience behaving like Christ. Okay, so, you know, I think that this, the discussion we're having kind of answers the question, the age-old question that around, goes around in Christian circles a lot is, well, if I'm completely, you know, new and I have the Spirit of God living in me and I'm a child of God, why do I still sin, right? And I think that kind of answers this question in a roundabout way, but, you know, again, if we have victory already, why am I sinning? Why do I choose to sin if I already have victory? Well, after... Christ did his amazing work at the cross, completed the work. It's it's completely done. He says it's finished, right? Yeah. It's done. And we experience that great exchange where we become a new creature and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have God's life. We're a container and expressor of God's glory. But we still live in a fallen world. And this physical container did not get exchanged. Hmm. It's still really in a sense of Adam. Okay, this is not the body that I'll have on the other side. Hmm. 
And so we're still, we still live in, in the world. We're not of the world. We're not citizens of this world, but we live in it. There's the possibility of me listening to a lie as a believer, listening to that lie, hmm. and then choosing to believe it and then act out on it. Yeah. And I'm not in that case, as Bo said, I am not appropriating the reality of my freedom. And I still have the flesh that I struggle with. That's what I was going to say. I mean, God doesn't wipe out your memory of how you got your needs met, how you were trained by the world to control the world, to handle your stuff. And he gives you the freedom to tap into the way you learn the fleshly patterns. And that's another way that we don't experience victories when we tap into those old patterns that we picked up from our forefathers we learned. Yeah. When uh, Paul says in Romans 7, 23, there's a war raging in my mind, mm-hmm. he says it's between the law of the mind, how the mind works, and the law of sin. Yeah. And so the thing is, how does the law of sin works? And if you turn to James 1, uh, around 12 and following, it's, it says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Now Satan brings trials to us. And God at any time could remove Satan and temptation completely from us. So why has he left it? Because who is the only one that can give us victory? God is, his ultimate concern is a personal relationship with intimate fellowship with us. And so he allows the enemy to tempt us. So we have to run to him in intimacy Mm. to be set free from that temptation. That's like uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But uh, James goes on to say, let no one say when he or she is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So temptation is first in the law of sin. But each one is tempted when he or she is carried away by his or her own lust. And so desire, lust is simply selfish desire. Mm. And then when lust has conceived, when I've conceived in my mind that I'm going to do this temptation Mm. because it's been placed in my mind by Satan, it gives birth to sin, and sin brings forth death. And so this is the struggle that I have and every believer has when we're tempted. This is the war. Are we we going to submit to what the demonic says? Are we going to submit to what the Holy Spirit says? Because we're dependent creatures. Our, Our thoughts become our own when we receive them. So a perfect example of this is what happens almost on a daily basis in my house, right? (laughs) (laughs) I've got young kids, as everybody knows, because I've mentioned it in former podcasts. And, you know, and maybe I give some instruction to one of the kids and they don't want to hear it or they want to do something else or they don't agree with me. Immediately, I have a strong, I already have a strong desire for respect. (laughs) Immediately, I get a tempting thought to try to get that respect from them. And that strong desire is not working. (laughs) They're not, they're not giving me any respect. They don't want to listen to my instruction. So immediately I get a, the temptation is to control the situation. This is a fleshly temptation. And if I conceive, you know, okay, so I can handle it this way, maybe be impatient with them, maybe give them a little word, maybe even kind of, uh, you know, show a little frustration with them in order to control them, to get them to show me respect. If I conceive that sin, in other words, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then I say it, I give birth to it. Then I don't experience abundant life. I don't experience victory. They're hurt because I sinned against them. And I experience relational death. Uh, I'm still alive in Christ. I'm still loved by Christ, just like Tom said. He's still well-pleased with me, but I submitted to, to not his thoughts. I submitted to the, the law of sin process, mm-hmm. and I experienced death. 
I had this wonderful revelation a number of years ago, sitting in Sunday school class, and I was thinking about the relationship between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. My imagination was just running wild. Mm. And, and I was trying to imagine what that relationship looked like. And it hit me, you know, God is eternal. Going getting back to the to the basics here, God's eternal, and so they've always been in intimate fellowship with each other. Yeah. And then I thought about First Corinthians thirteen, where Paul describes love. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, uh, keeps no record of wrongs. Mm-hmm. Hopes the best. Believes the best. All these different aspects of love. And then it hit me. His focus on what love looks like in that passage can only really be seen in the context of evil, of darkness. Mm. And those aspects of love that he mentions is how God loves. Yeah. But before creation, did the Father have to practice patience with the Son and the Spirit? Did, did he have to believe the best about them? Like, Did he have to keep no record of wrongs with them? Of course not. It wasn't until evil came into his creation that that aspect of his love could be seen. And so relating it back to what we're talking about, this, this struggle, I have to remember that in the midst of my struggle, there is an opportunity for me to believe truth and for me to experience agape love in its fullest. Hmm. And I can't help but believe that that's very intentional on God's part, that The reason why he left us right now, just for temporary, this is temporary, just for a short time, to live, to practice the truth in this environment is so that that love can be visualized Mm. in its fullest sense. Well, so, I mean, I I keep coming back to this theme, podcast episode after episode, that it really comes down to this understanding of who we are and what God has done to us, and then ultimately before that, who God is. And because if we don't understand those core principles of that we're made new, that we have a new heart, that we have a new identity, that we're dead to sin, that we're slaves of righteousness, that God is love and that he's relator, and like all these things that connect these dots— then victory is, I don't want to say impossible, but to me, if if we're building all these building blocks, it's very hard to experience any kind of victory without that truth. Absolutely. You know, what comes to mind is Matthew 4. Jesus, perhaps the most famous battle scene that we're aware of is uh, fasting in the in the wilderness. Yeah. And if you look at the temptations of Satan towards Jesus, they were all identity focused. Mm. If you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Mm. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off of here and let the angels catch you. And and then the last one is assumed, it's implied like if you bow down before me, then obviously you're not the son of God. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so it comes back to believing our identity. He believed his identity. He used the truth, the shield of faith. Yeah. Right, to, uh, he had quoted scripture really back to him about 
who he was and who God was. Yeah. And so I absolutely, I agree. We have to be well grounded in what God has done to our identity to make us righteous, complete and holy and yeah. loved and blameless mm. and victorious. Yeah. Which makes me think there's probably, there's many Christians in the world who aren't grounded in this and are on the journey like all of us are, but who have not been in environments or churches or places where this is emphasized or taught that are struggling in their Christian life. And I know I was there for most of my early Christian life. I was, it was this hard work to try to be acceptable to God where I knew I was failing every day at doing this. And it was exhausting and uh, in a lot of ways, just I, I despaired of hope because I'm like, I, how is this ever going to change? And so, you know, I, I usually at some point in time in our podcast ask about your personal experience and then ask about your personal challenge of your experience in this victory. And we'll do that, but I want to flip flop them today. I want to talk about your challenge in understanding this. What, what has been your journey a little bit? And we'll talk about the beginning of it in the way that this victory has been a challenge or was a challenge for you to really grasp, understand, and experience. Greg, I'll start with you. <laughs> I grew up with my flesh that we've talked about mm-hmm. as I can do it. Yeah. Okay, I can do it. And then I became a Christian. And they said that a person is a disciple if they're sharing Jesus with others. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, I can do that. Yeah. And so I started sharing Jesus with others, and they started receiving Christ. Mm-hmm. And I was doing it all under my own power, my own strength. And it wasn't until 45 that I understood or started understanding my identity in Christ. Mm. And it came from uh, my Christianity was all about appearance and performance. Yeah. And <laughs> one of my sons <laughs> said that he had, a, he had enough of this Christianity CRAP okay, mm. <laughs> uh, around this house, and he was leaving. And he was like 14 or 15, something like that. I said, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You will ruin my reputation. Because mm. If a pastor, uh, ordained minister can't manage his own family, then he needs to get out of ministry. And I said, you're not going anywhere until you tell me that you're going not leaving. And he said, I, I'm not leaving. And when he walked back to his room, the Holy Spirit said, Berzina, there's something wrong with your Christianity. And it was the very thing that y'all have talked about here is that I, I thought my struggle was with my son and his disobedience and disrespect toward me rather than with the demonic. The demonic was putting thoughts in my head that if he runs away, then he's going to make me look bad. And everybody in the world will know I look bad. Yeah. And so that is the struggle that I had. I had to be broken, and that's mm-hmm. what broke me. Uh, and I said, okay, I'm giving up on this Christianity. I can't live it. Mm. And I, was, I started thinking about killing myself mm. so I could go be with Jesus. Mm. And a little voice spoke. I don't know where it came from. It said, Brazina, you died with me 2,000 years ago. And that was the beginning of my whole thought process changing and how I got into the exchange life and how I started to understand my identity in Christ. And when I understood my identity in Christ, I, w- I went to all my boys and asked them to forgive me for teaching them performance-based Christianity mm. and I thought I had messed up all my sons, and I went back and I asked them if they could get would give me a second chance at raising them, and all of them did. Mm. All of them forgave me. All of them said I'll give you a second chance, and so I started sharing this exchange life with them, and they caught it, and 
And Bo, I hurt very deeply with some of the things I said and did to him growing up because I, I thought I was struggling with him and him not being obedient, not learning the way I wanted him to learn the biblical things. I mean, you read your Bible first at our house before you ever touch the newspaper or listen mm. to radio or whatever. And so uh, we started working through things, and one day he called and he said, Dad, uh, could I come work for you? Mm. That's why I'm deeply in love with Jesus Christ. and That's kind of my story. Yeah. But there's been a lot of pain in asking and giving forgiveness to get there, mm. in my case. Yeah. I think for me, the challenge that I faced in vic- uh, experiencing Christ's victory was an incorrect view of myself, so I didn't know my identity in Christ. Yeah. An incorrect view of God, because I didn't understand that he had accomplished the finished work. Yeah. I thought there was something I had to do. I could identify with your story about losing hope, because I've got to keep trying yeah. hard mm-hmm. to have this victory thing. Yep. And another thing, I didn't understand the battle for my mind. Like, for instance, I didn't know that the enemy could suggest thoughts to me and I could, I, uh, they sounded like me. So I just assumed it was me. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And the fact that I didn't know that that was not me, but it sounded like me, that it was a, a temptation is really what it was from the enemy. All of that left me ill prepared for <laughs> experiencing victory. And, you know, God's gracious. And I think reaching a point of hopelessness is actually not a bad thing because it, you know, it reminds us that, or it shows us that our flesh is broken. Yeah. It didn't work. You weren't supposed to achieve the victory tri- through spiritual discipline or Bible study or uh, all those things. Although those aren't bad things, those are not victory. Yeah, you know, exactly. Christ has already given me the victory. He has given me no condemnation. He has given me the ability to take thoughts captive to his obedience. And so for me, the challenge was I, I just didn't, understand of my righteousness in Christ. And I thought I essentially, my performance determined how righteous. And and then the last thing probably was feelings. I didn't feel victorious Mm. because I was measuring myself and my success based on outward performance, which is what Tom mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. My performance wasn't always good. I feel so defeated. Mm. (laughs) And I didn't know that my feelings weren't telling me the truth. They seemed to be my truth. Yeah. Well, I could ditto what everything Bo and Greg just said. I had a wrong concept of what victory was. I mean, totally wrong. I thought victory was the absence of struggle. Hmm. Victory was the absence of sin. I mean, just to put it in its simplest terms, and that's not victory. My focus was on eliminating darkness. Hmm. Therefore, I would have victory if I could eliminate darkness from my life. And so what did that look like functionally? Well, it looked like trying and attempting to be a, a disciplined person, uh, which I failed at all the time. Hmm. And, and, I mean, it didn't matter how disciplined I became in any area. It was never good enough. Yeah. And so then I would try, well, I just won't be disciplined at all. And that didn't work either, you know. <laughs> I just uh, That made the feelings even more profound. You're a failure. You don't measure up. You're not good enough. And learning these truths, who I am in Christ, that God is pleased with me. My, my first degree was in music, and so I can relate to someone practicing to, mm. to get better at, at, at music. And I think about this in the context of like a child taking piano lessons. You know, 
when a child takes piano lessons, the teacher will have them do a little recital along the way so they can show the progress of the, of the child yeah. in, in the piano. And the parents will have their video cameras out and they're watching them, you know. And the child may play the song okay or may yeah. just butcher it, but everybody's like, yeah, that's a good job. You go. And now I realize that it's like taking piano lessons. I'm already God's legitimate child, yeah. fully accepted. Hmm. And he's got his video camera out. Look at Tom. You go, son, go. He's so proud that I'm practicing my righteousness in him. Hmm. I'm making mistakes, yeah. not playing the song perfectly. But he's he he gets great joy in watching me practice. Hmm. And, of course, he's practicing right alongside me. I mean, he already has a perfect, but because yeah. it's his righteousness gifted to me. But it's a, it's a joint journey. And that changed my mindset. And yeah. so the battle, yes, is in the mind. But when I bring in that truth of who God is and who I am, I see victory from a totally different perspective now. It's not the absence of struggle. It's not the absence of flesh. It's not the absence of sin. Victory is the presence of a holy God in me, living in me and through me and, and me living with him. So how, you know, obviously, like you said, let's change the from the challenge to now how it's been um, understanding these truths. So you say there's not the absence, again, of evil in your life or temptation in your life. So how then have you, um, even like specific story or something like that, experienced the victory and living that out and having the maturity and understanding the truth as you continue to grow and what, what that is, how have you experienced that? What's that been like for you? It's been peaceful, really. I've been married 35 years and my wife and I are, we're quite different personality wise, you know, uh, the way that we um, behave, the way that we feel, the way that we think. I mean, we've, there's a lot of commonness because we've been together for 35 years. Yeah. But we can still tangle up, you know. <laughs> we, I, sure. She can look at me a funny way or say something, and I can get defensive and, and want to protect myself and defend myself. But it's in those moments when it feels like there's not victory that we both have the opportunity to listen to God, listen to the Holy Spirit, and change our, our mindset and experience peace hmm. in those moments. Yeah, I remember last year sometime, my wife, we were closing up here at CFT, and we drove separately. And so I left before she did. She's going to listen to this, so she's going to know why I leave before her. It's because she drives a little bit slower than I do, <laughs> and I want to get into the driveway before she does, okay? <laughs> and so usually I pull in, I get parked, I pull out. I mean, I get out and walk up to the mailbox, and when I'm walking the mailbox, she's usually coming down the street. Hmm. And that's usually how it happens. Well, that particular night, I didn't see her coming. Hmm. I thought, well, that's odd. And so I get in the house, I change my clothes and get me a snack, and I'm sitting down watching some TV, and she still hasn't walked through the door. And I thought, what's going on? And, and, and here's the other thing. She forgot her phone that day, so, she, so the phone was sitting there in the living room mm -hmm. where I was at. Yeah. So I couldn't call her. 
And then it hit me. Oh, she told me something was going wrong with the car. So I thought, well, maybe she stopped at the grocery store. Well, it just kept niggling at me. No, maybe maybe she, I kept picturing her stranded on the side of the road, didn't have a phone. She's walking down the road. This is nighttime, trying to get to a phone to call me. You know, I thought, okay, what would be the loving thing to do here? So I got my clothes back on, got it in my truck and headed back out. And I was going to just come back to the office. Well, I thought, well, let me swing into the grocery store here. Sure enough, there was her car. Oh, good. She's at the grocery store. So I turn around, go back home and get undressed and, mm -hmm. and ready for bed. And she comes in about an hour later. And I said, can I help you with some stuff? And she says, oh, yeah, thank you so much. There's groceries in the car. So I got there and I bring the groceries in. And uh, a few minutes later, she comes out of the bedroom. And I said, oh, by the way, I wasn't sure where you were at. So I got in the truck and headed back out and looked for you. She got angry with me. Hmm. And I, I was just floored by that and shocked. And I thought, what? where's this coming from? And then all of a sudden now I'm hurt, I'm wounded, because here I am, I'm a loving husband, <laughs> protecting my wife, you know, and she's just stomping all over that. What's wrong with her? And so my initial flesh reaction was just to ignore her. And then finally I said, well, I don't have the problem here. You, you've got the problem, not me. Well, I'm going tell you right now, audience, that was not the right thing to say. Uh, that was from the, that was definitely a flesh statement. That was another way of protecting myself. And of course, that didn't make it any better. Mm. Well, a little bit later, she's on the phone with my daughter and she gets off and she starts talking to me like nothing had happened. But in the meantime, while she's on the phone, I'm having a conversation with God. And God just simply says to me, Tom, there's something going on here that you don't know about. You need to trust me. And my feelings were still, you know, they were still at a 10. Mm -hmm. You know, they were, they were fired up and I don't want to. <laughs> but I listened and I said, Lord, I trust you. And I had to forgive her in my heart. And, I, and my emotions didn't immediately come down. And finally, she looked at me. She says, I am so sorry for the way I behaved earlier. And I said, I am, I am too. And then she began to explain to me what, how me telling her that I had gone looking for her, how that made her feel. And it was totally different from what I had expected. She said, it felt like you didn't trust me. And then the Lord in that moment revealed to me years ago when we had gone through a, a trauma and I was fearful all the time. And anytime she would get out, get out of sight for too long, I would get upset and angry. Hmm. And I had forgotten about that. Hmm. And, but in that moment when I said that I was going to look for you, it brought all those emotions back in her. Hmm. Now, I don't think she remembered that, tied it together, but that's what was going on. And, you know, it was amazing. The Spirit brought such healing into our relationship in that moment. Mm. It was as if none of that had ever happened. Mm. And now it's just a story to tell. Sure. But we experienced victory in that moment. You know, someone could say, oh, there's a couple of Christians that aren't very victorious right now. But that wasn't the whole story. Mm. When the story was finished, there was great victory. 
and great awesome. peace. Yeah. And we had intimate relationship, mm. you know, fellowship together. Yeah. And so exactly. to me, that's really what victory looks like. For me, you know, every once in a while, I'll face a temptation to compare myself to another person, maybe, mm. or or maybe even envy something they have. Mm. And um, one of the key pieces of my journey in experiencing the abundant life and, and victory is Romans 6.11, where it says, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. And that's based on our crucifixion, burial, and resurrection with Jesus. And so, and this will happen. Sometimes I'll also have a flesh pattern of being judgmental or critical of another person. Mm. And uh, oftentimes I'm talking to Patty about something and the Holy Spirit will remind me to profess I'm, I'm dead to that. Mm. I feel that way. <laughs> the flesh is screaming they're that, you know, they've treated you wrong or whatever. Or they're not valuing you, Bo. And the Holy Spirit will bring to mind. I'm dead to that because mm. of Christ, because of what Christ being buried with him and crucified with him. But it's not enough to be dead that I'm alive to God. I'm alive to whatever need is not being met through this situation where maybe they treated me wrong or I, they're misinterpreting me or they're not extending acceptance towards me. I'm alive to Christ meeting that need. My mm. acceptance comes from you, Christ. My love comes from you. Mm. And so what that means, I can lay aside the deeds of the flesh. I can lay aside the sinful judgment or criticalness hmm. or the envy and realize that's not who I am. I'm alive to Christ. So that's one of the ways in my life that I've experienced that. And that happens probably more often than I would like, but it, it it's actually God's working it in for my good because hmm. it draws me into intimate dependence on him and, re and it really honors him because it says, you're right. You did kill that old sinful me hmm. and I'm no longer alive to sinful judgment or criticism. I'm alive to you, and you're meeting my needs. Hmm. That's, a, for me, how he, one of the ways he's worked it out. Yeah. And Greg? Well, just, uh, you know, the, what Bo said there at the end about Romans 6.6, 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Well, that might be done away with would be better translated reckon. Okay? Mm -hmm. We reckon that our sin has been done. We believe it, in other words, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And so it goes back to truth. It goes back to truth again as far as believing who I am. And if I believe who I am, then it makes the uh, what I do normal, natural, and spontaneous. And so, you know, that's basically what I, in order to experience Christ's life, I have to surrender my will. It goes back to James 4, 7. I have to surrender my will to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. This is the only way I've been able to experience Christ's victory. He's already won the victory. I believe that is truth. Now I implement that by submitting to the Holy Spirit whenever I'm tempted. All I have to worry about is right now. I don't have to worry about what happened a few seconds ago. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen in a few seconds. I don't know. All I have to worry about is right now, this moment, 
Am I surrendering my will, my heart, to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me? This is what it means to walk after the Spirit. And as He speaks to me, I mean, that's why I'm here on this earth, to have a personal relationship with intimate fellowship with Him. And the temptation that Satan brings, this struggle, is a blessing to me, where I used to think it, it, it was the worst thing in the world for me. But now, as I've grown in the truth, temptation is a blessing to me because I have to run to Christ in intimacy to experience the victory over it. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a weird parallel or dichotomy there of where the actual temptation and the struggle and the trials we go through is the very place where victory is experienced. Without that, we wouldn't be able to experience the victory as we have it now, which, you know, again, that's God using all things together for our good, that even though Satan is still in this world and there's still a fallen world, it's because of those very things that we can experience victory and really live out of it and live in dependence upon Christ and his life in us. And so, you know, I think we've touched on it in multiple different ways, but obviously Jesus was the embodiment of victory. He lived every day in victory. And so how does knowing that he was always victorious in every part of his life, how does that help deepen your relationship with him today, knowing that's who he is? Well, I keep coming back to John 15, 5, where he ends that verse, although I don't think he was ending a verse. Sure, you know. yeah. yeah. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I keep coming back to that in my belief system. God, you know the desire of my heart. I want to experience everything that you want me to experience. I want to experience the abundant life that you've promised. But I've got to remember that apart from you, I can do nothing. Mm. I can't animate that desire. You put the desire in me, mm. but you, your desire is to animate that, to bring it to life. That's good, yeah to breathe it in me and, and move it through me. And, you know, so that's what I have to keep coming back to. To me, it, it, when I think about Jesus, uh, I think of the one who was tempted in every way except without sin. Mm-hmm. And that we have a high priest who understands. He understands it. And he invites us to come boldly, which tells me that he's enjoying the process of walking with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of his compassion. It never fails. And, and his comfort is available and, and he's inviting me to intimacy. And it reminds me of him walking the same way. I think of him in the upper room, uh, the night that he was betrayed. It says in John that he, knowing who he was, basically where he came from and where he was going, he laid aside the robe, the outer robe. But we could also probably say he rejected temptation. Mm-hmm. Because he was the he was the main figure, and he was taking on this job of yeah. the lowliest slave, which was to wash the feet. Yeah, and I think it, what it it does is it just brings this awe of who he is, but then also that he's living in me and animating what Tom was saying. That same power is in me. Christ mm. is in me, so that I can express the life of God, say no to that temptation, and experience the victory. I think it just makes me fall deeper in love with him, more appreciation, gratitude comes, all of these beautiful things, which culminates in worship, right? Which ultimately glorifies him. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just this beautiful crescendo of who he is. Yeah, awesome. What is amazing about Christ's life is that he took on humanity, a human body lived perfectly. And for him to live perfectly, John tells us over and over, 842, 842, 
49, I think, and then on to 10, 12, and 14, he talks about he never took the initiative. He always said, I haven't spoken on my own. The Father has told me what to say. Mm. I haven't done anything on my own. I haven't taken the initiative. It's the Father who has told me what to do. And so in order to be able to do that, I have to, and once again, I can't get away from it, surrender my will to the Holy Spirit. When I do, the demonic is automatically, normally, naturally, spontaneously rejected. Hmm. And if he's rejected, I'm submitting to the Holy Spirit, then the life of Christ is going to flow from me. Hmm. Well, I think the victory we can all experience and have, the uplifting and amazing part is that because it's already won for us, and that it's based on us just surrendering and depending upon Christ, it is something that all Christians can attain. It's something that all all believers can live in and out of. And the reality is that, you know, hopefully that gives a lot of our audience and people listening hope in knowing that victory is attainable, sustainable, and it's all because of what Jesus has done. And it's simply a work that he's continuing to work out in us to experience that more and more. And I, you know, a lot of times when I think about victory, I equate it to like this taste of what real life is like. You know, I think we can all look back maybe in our Christian walks where there were moments where we actually truly lived out of the Spirit and uh, experienced that peace like you talked about, Tom, or just had this moment of I'm going to surrender my will and listen to what the Spirit has and live out of that. And in that moment, there's an experience that is unlike anything else. I just call it a little bit of taste of life. And once we get that, it's like, I want to taste more of that. I want more of that experience. And so my hope and prayer is just that as people listen to this and start to apply this and deepen their relationship with God, that they'll have those moments where they are so overwhelmed by what God has done and who what he has done to us that they are spurred on to continue this journey and to continue with hope and strength and courage. And so thank you guys so much for your words and your encouragement to everybody today. And I hope you enjoyed listening, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Next week, we will look at how to identify our personal and unique flesh patterns. This discussion will help us understand more clearly how our flesh patterns and lies affect us on a daily basis. The Living in Jesus podcast is a production of Christian Families Today and is produced and edited by Ross O'Hare and Ben Brazina. Christian Families Today is a nonprofit discipleship counseling, coaching, and training ministry focused on equipping men, women, and children in how to build biblically healthy lives and families. You can visit our website at cftministry.org to find this podcast, information about the Living in Jesus study, and other free content. If you were encouraged by this podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you would take a minute and leave us a review. This podcast and all our free content is made available because of the generosity of people just like you from around the world. Until next week, thank you and God bless.